Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 114 of the Deep South Dharma podcast. This is a recording of our visit this evening from Kevin Griffin speaking on mindfulness and recovery. Deep South Dharma and I were fortunate enough to host Kevin for over 50 participants this evening. It was an absolute delight. This recording offers 20 minutes of guided meditation practice followed by Kevin's talk on the topic of mindfulness and recovery. If you want more information about Kevin and the wide variety of things that he offers, take a look at kevingriffin.net. And if you want to be reminded of when you can join us to practice with Deep South Dharma, take a look at deepsouthdharma.org or message me here with any questions. sit in a way that we can be alert and sit with stability, with a kind of solidness. Um, And you you don't, obviously you don't need to look at the screen, which is nice. (laughs) A little break from screen time. Actually, you don't need to look at the screen at any point during this session. Although on the other hand, When we're alone so much, it can be nice to see some human faces. In any case, just letting the body settle. So we want to sit in a way that we can be still and yet still be relaxed. And we don't want to be creating tension in the body. and letting the body soften. So some of the particular points of sensation that can help us to relax are the jaw, to relax the muscles in the jaw, so that your face softens. to release the shoulders. Soften the belly. You can feel the breath moving deeply into the belly. with the sense of all the energy in the body, all the tension in the body, like draining down into the earth. So that even as you are bright and alert, there's a sense of calm and ease Now we are practicing mindfulness. So if there is no sense of calm and ease, we don't struggle with that. We just acknowledge that. So we could say that we're bringing an attitude of acceptance. And You know, sometimes that ease will arise and sometimes not. 
we try to engage in a process that balances effort with acceptance. So the effort is the one that is that effort to relax and be present. The acceptance is the non-conflict, the non-resistance or judgment to the results of our effort. Besides being a principle of mindfulness meditation, this is also a principle of recovery, and specifically of the third step, turning it over. So this settling and arriving is a preliminary stage of meditation. And we can include then just a general awareness of our surroundings and any sounds in our environment. And then just checking in with yourself, how are you feeling right now? Although our meditation might change the way we feel, it's often, certainly in the beginning, very much colored by whatever mood or emotions are present. So acknowledging that, allowing that, whether pleasant or unpleasant, or perhaps just a neutral feeling, just to see that. And now bringing more focused attention to the breath. This is, in a sense, bringing the breath into the foreground of our awareness. We're not pushing away, or trying to suppress other elements of our experience. But we let the breath now take the foreground place. We put our attention on the sensations of breathing. What does it feel like to breathe? The simplest, most basic biological behavior breathing in and breathing out. You can feel the breath at the nostrils, feeling the air coming in and out. Or if it's easier, you can focus on the movement in the belly, the arising falling.
natural for the mind to wander. We discover that even when we mean to pay attention to the breath, the mind also often has other ideas, many of them pulling us off into thoughts. So we bring a persistence to the practice of coming back. With this practice, really the heart of meditation must be done with care. It's very common for people to judge themselves or to judge their meditation. If there's a lot of thoughts, That's just extra. It's unnecessary. There's no blame involved. We try to take a very neutral position towards our thoughts, just an acknowledgement that thinking is happening. And then just coming back to the breath and starting again. You'll probably notice, though, that the mind wants to make it more complicated. Just to figure out a, a better way to stay with the breath or figure out why you can't stay with the breath. start questioning the practice itself. What's the point of following the breath? And the mind just loves to indulge in these flights, these journeys. And when we start to see that they are just that they are just little trips, little stories, little shows, entertainments, distractions. As we let go over and over, we become less enthralled with these stories. There's a, a beauty, a serenity in the simplicity of breath when we can find it. 
It takes this persistence. an attitude of kindness with that persistence to drop into this place. In the meantime, the patterns of thought, the types of thought that are persistent for us that keep coming back can be very revealing. Start to understand ourselves, our habitual patterns even as we let go, moment by moment.
So nice to uh, be able to visit with you folks, uh, however virtually that may be. Um, Mississippi is one of the very few states, maybe three, two or three, that I've never been in. And uh, so this is the closest I've come. But hopefully, uh, after we all get that couple of vaccine shots, we'll be able to come down and see you for real. I, I love, you know, seeing, I, I think I saw something, uh, how I reconnected with Christy was seeing a post on Facebook about uh, Deep South Dharma and, and just hearing that name really inspired me. You know, I live in Northern California, the Bay Area, and it's, it's like the cliche place for, for Dharma, you know, uh, a Buddhist on every corner, you know, and, and um, you know, it's, it's great to, to know that um, these teachings are, are spreading uh, throughout the country and uh, the world. Um, so, so yeah, we, we, we talked about, you know, what, what we could, um, make as a theme tonight and, and just thought, keep it very simple. Um, uh, mindfulness in recovery, you know, this is kind of a, the sort of starting point of connecting the Dharma. And so for those who aren't familiar with this language, Dharma means truth or, yeah, truth with capital T, natural law, sometimes uh, it's called. Uh, it's, it's also uh, can mean just the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, so, um, and, and mindfulness was a core teaching of the Buddha. It was really the core meditation practice uh, that the Buddha taught was mindfulness meditation. And, and indeed in those teachings, awareness of the breath was the first thing he taught. And which is kind of amazing that, uh, you know, 25, 2,600 years, uh, people have been doing this practice. And, you know, it's become sort of popularized in the West and, and indeed commercialized as well as we, as we do so well <laughs> in our country, especially. Oh, it's, it's popular. Oh, can we charge for that? <laughs> can we make some money? Um, but nonetheless, it, it retains its, its purity, its essence, uh, its simple essence. Um, and maybe that's why it has survived for so long because it is so simple. Um, there's no faith involved in it. There's no uh, great uh, study involved in uh, figuring out how to be mindful of the breath. It's the most basic and essential thing that we, we do in our lives. It represents the beginning of our lives. You know, you slap the baby and they start crying and breathing and uh, <laughs> it's sort of the story of life, crying and breathing. Uh, but. And it represents the end. If you've ever been with somebody in their in their last moments, the last thing they do that really tells you that they're dead is they take a they exhale. You know, I was with my mother for that moment. So it, it bookends our life, breathing in and breathing out. Um, but to to bring it out of the the grander. Uh, or more sort of spiritual or esoteric, whatever, thinking uh, to get at what, the, what mindfulness has to do with recovery. Um, you know, I work a lot with the 12 steps, but, but I try to um, make the 12 steps be accessible beyond the typical ways of understanding them. So from my view, step one, which says we admitted we were powerless over whatever our addiction is, um, that admission comes out of mindfulness. That is, mindfulness is just really being aware. Uh, I mean, it has more subtle elements to it, but the starting point is being aware. And with addiction, when we're in denial, there's no awareness. And even if there's 
a sort of knowing. It's not really a mindful knowing. Mindfulness really implies this engagement of full presence and fully seeing uh, what we're experiencing. So that uh, they call it the moment of clarity, right? In the 12 step literature, that moment of clarity is that moment of waking up uh, is, is a moment of, of awareness of, of, we could say of mindfulness. Mindfulness allows us to see what's going on in our experience. And it, you know, as our, the practice that we teach, the meditation practice of observing the mind particularly is a, another really valuable piece of this, uh, certainly for everyone, but in particular for people in recovery, because it's our thinking you know, fundamentally that, that is, uh, is really pulling us down. It's what's, what's uh, causing our suffering. So, and, but, but not thinking alone. It's uh, mindfulness isn't, and, and sometimes the word mindfulness sort of can give us the impression that we're just trying to be aware of our mind. And in our culture, that kind of means be aware of your thoughts, I guess. Yeah. But mindfulness uh, really demands that we tune in on multiple levels. And the, the level that I think is so important for everyone, again, but especially for addicts, is the felt experience. The, to be mindful of what, what you are feeling and mindful of how you are reacting and to stimuli, to experience. So just in the most basic way, the way an alcoholic responds to thinking of or seeing a drink, uh, ah, the craving, right? The, the desire. So connecting with that, starting to see craving so important to be able to change our relationship to that. Otherwise, because craving is something that's very kind of plugged in, right? We're kind of hardwired to crave. And it's, again, part of human nature to crave. We crave food, we crave sex, we crave, you know, um, social contact, uh, we crave comfort. But for an addict, the craving spins out of control. It starts to uh, take us into these destructive realms. That craving is typically, it's not seen, we're not conscious of it. So until we bring it into our awareness, until we bring mindfulness to it, we can't really transform it. We can't really let it go. You know, again, another kind of principle of mindfulness is that you can't let go of something you're not aware of. Kind of obvious. But if we've got these destructive impulses and craving is one side, the other side being aversion or negativity, you know, which, you know, contains, you know, anger, fear, resentment, all the negative emotions equally tend to trigger addictive behavior. So a big part of sustaining and being comfortable with our recovery is becoming very familiar with these triggers and being able to see them in the moment and I'll say in very simple terms, but it's not that simple to let them go. So, you know, there's a lot involved in letting go. <laughs> like we go to a lot of meetings and we work the steps and we call our sponsors and we do service and we, we take care of our responsibilities in the world. And all of that uh, is part of not 
living in our addiction, not acting on our addiction. But the starting point of all of that has to be seeing it and knowing, oh, there's that impulse. I need to do something else. So the meditation practice teaches us a way to do something else without having to actually change our circumstances. So it's not the, the only answer. You know, it's not like, oh, just meditate and that'll be your program. You know? But it becomes this foundational element of it, what we can call, and, and it is often called a training. In fact, I think the last time I saw Christy, she gave me uh, the sweatshirt that says mind training, <laughs> that I should have been wearing that tonight. One of my favorite hoodies. So it's a training in that we sit with ourselves. We're not doing anything. You know, meditation is so interesting in that regard. Okay, I'm just going to sit down and do nothing. And then the whole world arises, right? Every, uh, our, everything comes through and we see that we contain, as you know, Walt Whitman famous, famously said, we contain multitudes. We see all the stuff that's in us, but we're not doing anything. <laughs> we're just practicing, right? We call it that, we're practicing meditation. We sit and a thought comes up, no matter what it is. You know. We see it, but, but first, typically we don't see it, right? We're just in it. But then we kind of wake up. There's this sort of odd thing that happens when we bring intention to being aware of the mind at a certain point we realize, oh, I'm thinking. And then in that moment, through this simple instruction, oh, I'm meditating. I'm supposed to be meditating on my breath. What I need to do now is just move my attention to my breath. And we do that. And what typically happens, although not in every case, but typically what happens is that just in that seeing the thought, the coming back, the thought disappears. And there's a lot that we can learn from that moment. For one, we realize thoughts only have the power that I give them. If I don't feed it, if I don't follow the thought and spin it out, it just goes away, you know? Well, that's interesting because thoughts kind of run our lives, you know? Uh, you know, so to be able to realize that we don't have to be, or that our lives don't have to be run by our thoughts is like one of the first prime insights that we get from this practice. And what we are doing in that moment is training ourselves to let go in the simplest of ways we're not it's interesting even the even the term let go isn't isn't necessarily the a perfect description of what happens there sometimes we say let be but it's also a kind of turning away from you know i'm kind of turning away from the thought saying kind of thank you for sharing and i'm not going to pursue you right now i'm just going to go to the breath. I'm making a different choice, right? The essence of recovery, you know, uh, making better choices in our lives. So this very simple practice that we do, and, and we, you know, as a meditation practice, it's ideal if you do it on a daily basis, because it, it has... A, it, the training effect is that it trains you when you do it over and over to be able to be more aware and cap, capture those moments of, oh, wow, where, where's my mind going? To see them, to get more skilled or uh, more conscious of when your mind is going to unhelpful places. And then it also trains you, of course, to let go 
also has this, uh, you know, one of the main benefits people come to meditation, of course, is that is the kind of what we call stress reduction. That's the kind of mindfulness language of it, you know, the contemporary mindfulness language. But it's that releasing of tension, of stress that happens in that moment when you turn toward the breath and away from the thought has this calming effect on the nervous system that is so vital and precious, especially for addicts who tend to run on a kind of high frequency, you know, and to be able to turn it down, to cool, to cool those passions, then has a daily and moment by moment benefit. And it's this, this uh, cooling happens just right in that moment, right in that moment of turning away from the thought back to the back to the breath back to the present. So this is what I see as kind of the, the first element and the kind of key connection of mindfulness here is this kind of just to be aware. Now, if I, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the steps, I think, and kind of connect it a little bit to, to the steps in some other explicit ways. Um, one of the ways that uh, we can use mindfulness in working the steps is to actually think of it as a higher power. Uh, when we say we turn our will and our lives over to the care, if we turn our will and our lives over to the care of mindfulness, it's a very interesting thing to, to do, reflect on that. What would that mean? Well, it, it implies that I trust that mindfulness has a healing power. And so step two is that, you know, of course, is that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So if we came to believe that being more conscious, being more mindful could help me to be more sane, that's not a leap. <laughs> In fact, I would say that's pretty true. And so once we, once we see that Oh, mindfulness itself is powerful. Just in that moment, look at that. When I turn away from that angry thought or that grasping thought, and I come back to the breath, I'm feeling freedom in that moment. I'm cutting myself off from that addictive tendency. That's a powerful effect. So I see, okay, yeah, step three could be, could be turn my will and my life over to the care of mindfulness. In my, more, in, in my teaching, I broaden that really to say the Dharma is a higher power. Um, and that's, you know, just, uh, you know, Christy mentioned that I've written some books. My second book is called A Burning Desire, Dharma God and the Path of Recovery. And it's about using the Dharma as a higher power. So it takes apart many elements of the Dharma, not just mindfulness. Loving kindness is another great, higher power, turning your will and your life over to the power of love. Well, um, so, but, but to stick with mindfulness, the, the beauty of that to me is the immediacy of it. I think one of the challenges of, for, for me, I, I don't have a, a, uh, a sort of theistic view. I, I have practiced theism, sort of, uh, you know, I was raised uh, Catholic. And, and when I got sober, I kind of, I didn't go back to being a Catholic, but I kind of, I went along with the, the language of the steps. But at a certain point, I just, and, and this is very personal and, and everybody, you know, I'm not at all suggesting that, uh, that a, a belief in God doesn't fit with this. Um, but if, if I don't have, um, well, let me put this a different way. That what, what I think is very striking about mindfulness is its immediacy. It's right here, right now. And, and I would say the same is true, of course, of God, you know, if you believe in God, God is here, right? How can God be anywhere else, but, but everywhere. 
so I think the the idea of of that connection really works because because this this idea of presence of being mindful is very much the presence of God if if you view it that way or if that's how your what your belief system is but uh, the what's uh, valuable to me about that is that it's not theoretical it's not something out there that I have to depend on. I can feel it right here and now. I can feel mindfulness. I can feel the impact of my own awareness in this moment when I breathe and take a breath, when I feel my heart, when I feel my body, when I feel my emotions. It's all, it's all here right now. So just to move a little bit more through the steps, the, the fourth step, is the one that introduces the idea of a searching and fearless moral inventory. And, and, you know, steps four through nine are kind of this engagement with the inventory and sharing it and then trying to let go of the so-called character defects or shortcomings that are revealed in that and then making amends. But the, that first aspect of it, step four, having an inventory is really supported by mindfulness of the of our thoughts we see oh this is here's my anger here's my resentment here's my lust you know these things are all they're all in my mind they're they're all being revealed to me so the meditation can be as much as you know we're trying to let go of our thoughts the fact is that they're showing up a fair amount of the time if not most of the time and so uh the way we can utilize them is to is to make them part of this process to to reveal oh, okay these are these are the habit patterns these are the things that i need to i really need to be aware of and then steps six and seven which are to me like the letting go steps then those are the steps in which i work with transforming those things and letting go letting go of anger letting go of lust uh, and and you know, there's, there's a lot involved in all of that. It's not that I just, I see it and I let it go, but, uh, but bringing mindfulness into the process is what, uh, to me, sort of undergirds the whole process. Uh, you know, because we've already been talking about how we let go in mindfulness meditation. Well, if step seven is about letting go, which is how I view it, it's the step seven says we humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. Okay, well, what if I humbly asked mindfulness and loving kindness and wisdom to remove my shortcomings? Um, yeah, that kind of works. You know, it, hap it through that process, uh, we let go. A and as, as we know, and anybody who's worked these steps knows, we don't just let them go and they're gone they keep coming back. They're deeply conditioned, these habit patterns. So, you know, certainly uh, steps six and seven, and really all the steps are ones that we go back to over and over, but, but the, the clinging comes back and we let it go and it comes back, we let it go. And, and over time it weakens. Um, maybe, a, maybe a little more on this. Um, Just to say that uh, in terms of sort of seeing mindfulness uh, as aligned with the, the steps, of course, step seven is sort of a reiteration of steps four through nine. It's continued to take inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. That's where mindfulness is, again, so vital is to see the, the tendencies, to see the uh, reoccurrence and to catch it and let it go. And then of course, step 11 then is the, is the prayer and meditation step. So uh, it's step 11 is really one of the reasons that people come to mindfulness meditation. It's one of the things that brings people to my teachings as their sort of original purpose for like, oh, this guy's teaching about Buddhism in the 12 steps. Maybe he'll help me to do my 11th step. Happy to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and step 12, 
I, I, I kind of, you know, I love step 12. I mean, it's really the, such an uplifting step. Some of the steps can, you know, don't feel so good, you know, <laughs> not always excited about the making amends and taking inventory, but having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, um, you know, I really see each of the steps as being a spiritual awakening. But uh, again, to me, being present for my experience, being present for my heart and mind, that is awakening. So mindfulness is, is awakening. And according to the Buddha, it is the path to the highest forms of awakening. Uh, you know, I, I love the way that steps 12 uh, works. It's got three parts that we, having had a spiritual awakening, we tried to carry this message. So the idea that a spiritual awakening is connected to service, uh, you know, I th it says a lot about awakening. You know, it says that awakening is not about me. It's explicitly not about me. That awakening, because awakening is really awakening to, uh, in Buddhist terms, the emptiness of self, the, the idea that what we were trying to satisfy, that this self that we, we sort of build our whole life around is really just a construction. And that's kind of the ultimate Buddhist enlightenment. In 12-step in work, we just talk about self-centeredness was our problem, right? But all of it points to the same thing, which is that like, if I'm just trying to fix myself and, and worry about myself all the time, I, I create more suffering for myself. One of my favorite t teachers, a Buddhist monk, Ajahn Sumedho, <laughs> I don't know if he read, if I heard him say this on a recording or, or uh, read it, but in any case, simple line, whenever I think about myself, I get depressed. And, and this is a person who's been a monk for 50 years. So I thought, wow, okay. So uh, this idea that spiritual awakening is about transcending self and uh, transcending self, not in some exotic way, but just sort of letting go of like self-centeredness. And then the, the, the end of this 12 step says that uh, we practice these principles in all our affairs. I love that because it's the line that that uh, closes all the loopholes. In case you were thinking there were times when you didn't have to follow your spiritual principles, no, this is for all the time. This is for home and out, you know, away, uh, and it's this is. If we look at the uh, again the early Buddhist teaching, there's the famous sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness. In that sutta, the Buddha describes like every action that we can take, including going to the bathroom. You know, there it is in the sutta. It's like really okay. Um, he's you know the Buddha was was uh, very down to earth, shall we say? And and he's just like you should be aware all the time. So it's the same message, right? That that uh, our our spiritual practice, our mindfulness practice, our our recovery, our sobriety—you know—they are things that we need to live. They're not just we show up at a meeting and you know talk a good game, or we sponsor a couple people and then we're good. You know, it's like you know just go to church on Sunday and the rest of the week, you know do what you want, you know, that kind of hypocrisy. Uh, this, is, this is about being awake and aware all the time. And, and, and yeah, the, the 12 steps tell us to do that, but they don't quite have the same tools. So it's, this is another reason why it's so you know, helpful to integrate mindfulness and see, oh, right, this, this tool this ancient tool that the Buddha taught is something that really applies and helps me to fulfill the ideas that are in the, in the steps and in the recovery world, the challenges of recovery, the challenge to be awake and aware.
So uh, that seems like enough for now. Um, I'd love to open it up and take questions. Um, you know, probably easier. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.